text today comes from the book of Ezekiel, um, chapter 37, verses 1 to 6. It's on page 798 of the Blue Bibles, if you have one. The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. You make all things new and you Grace and Peace, Mars Hill. Hey, it's so good to see you. I think we have a lot of new faces in the room this morning, so let me be one of the first to say welcome. We are so glad that you're here. And if you and I have not had a chance to meet yet, my name is Ashley Island. I'm one of our co-lead pastors. In addition to Troy, it's such a joy to get to partner with him and the rest of our amazing staff here at Mars Hill. Glad you're here this morning. As Troy already mentioned, we are kicking off a brand new series called All Things New. And in these next six weeks, we're going to be exploring how our life individually and our collective life with Christ endures and changes and shifts just like the seasons. Can I get some crock pot love? Amen. For fall, football's on, I can wear my boots and my blazers. Praise the Lord. And yet we're longing to notice where signs of renewal are still present. So over these next six weeks, our teaching team, myself and Troy and Kyle and Tim, will walk us through different passages in scripture where we both see evidence of change and where we get to experience what God is doing. 
Quick story, a few weeks ago, I received a very meaningful gift from my mother. Some of you know her. Her name is Vicky, and she's amazing. If you're watching, Mom, I love you. Um, she gave me a few small begonias, these really beautiful, bright red plants. And she said, Ashley, you can have these. I want you to put these in front of your house. They can add a pop of color. And bonus, this is one of my mom's favorite flowers. And so I felt like if I were to plant these flowers, every time I were to look at them, I would see them and remember my mom and honor her and it'd be great. Well, the first few weeks passed and the begonias were doing great. And as one who doesn't have much of a green thumb, my mother, the next time that she visited me, made uh, a point as one of the first things that she said to encourage me was, wow, Ashley, you haven't killed the begonias yet. <laughs> Thanks, Mom. And I hadn't. I'd taken time to weed and water and nurture them. I was doing great until one day. Just recently, a little too fresh to talk about it with too much detail, a child of ours decided to take some initiative and help with the gardening too. <laughs> Our hostas, jagged. Our black-eyed Susans, obliterated. My baby begonias snapped in half, stripped down to the root studs. Y'all, I was devastated. I was surrounded by wilted petals and stray stems that had been whacked, chopped, and snapped away, carelessly discarded. And I distinctly remember looking at the state of my begonias and defeatedly pronouncing something along the lines of, they're dead, ruined gone for good. Are there any of the parts of your life, Mars Hill, that are looking a little bit like my flower beds these days? Dead. Ruined. Gone for good. They don't just remind us of what no longer exists, but our expectations of what might be possible are low or non-existent altogether because these situations look to us like they're obviously beyond the possibility of renewal. The business didn't just go under during COVID. The storefront is gone. The relationship isn't just strained, it's completely severed. You wouldn't know where to begin or maybe even where to find this person in the first place to make amends. Your hope in humanity is washed away. Because in some instances, we're not just divided, we're antagonistic, we're mean-spirited, and we're degrading toward one another. Your relationship with the church some of you are probably here because you lost a bet. Some of you might be here because you've been hurt and you're just now tiptoeing back into what community might be like. Some of you are in the back because you don't want to be noticed. And that's okay here. But what I'm trying to do is just acknowledge that for some of us, some parts of our life don't look like renewal. They look like messed up and tousled plant beds. And we're trying to figure out, God, what are you doing and where are you? 
question for you. What's looking like it's ruined and gone for good in your life? And how then do we claim and live into God's renewal, Mars Hill, when our lives, the church, the world looks more like a graveyard of wilted petals and broken stems? How do we manage our expectations in situations like these? I'll go first. More often than not, my expectation mirrors my limited examination of the terrain. And if it looks bleak, I don't really expect much. I'm not expecting the flowers to grow back, not expecting a phone call or that email, an apology, or an attempt at reconciliation. My expectations are at an all-time low sometimes when it comes to humanity and how we treat one another in person or online because of what I see. But could it be, church, that what we see is only a part of what it takes to experience renewal? And put differently, if our expectation of God is driven by what we see, all we'll ever see is wilted petals, broken stems, and dry bones. So what does it mean for our expectation to be renewed? Let's turn to our text to consider both the environment and the vision itself that Ezekiel had. First, let's talk about the environment. So the prophet Ezekiel, he knows what it's like to be surrounded by things that are dead, ruined, and seemingly gone for good. The book of Ezekiel, quick background, is considered apocalyptic literature, which means it's visionary and it's prophetic, and it was especially prevalent when its audience was being oppressed. So in this case, it was being used to encourage the Judeans who had already been in exile for 10 years, and suffice it to say, their hope was non-existent. In this vision, Ezekiel's in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by very dry bones, the bones representing God's people who were being oppressed and mistreated. And the Lord asks Ezekiel, after leading him into this valley, son of man, can these bones live? Meaning, can this people's national and spiritual identity be restored? Given what we know of the environment, you want to know what my answer would be? No, Lord, because they're bones. They're dried out. They're very dry, we're told. They're, they're useless. They're, they're irredeemable. There's, there's nothing that bones can be used for except if you're perhaps cooking a Thanksgiving broth. Like, these are bones we're talking about. So no, Lord, these are useless. I don't think these bones can live. Or perhaps my response goes a step further. Obviously not. The bodies that these bones represent are gone for good. Either way, this is kind of an absurd question for the Lord to ask Ezekiel, isn't it? It's kind of a strange question to ask. Ezekiel's in the valley being asked this, and yet what I find so fascinating is that he doesn't answer how you or I might answer. He doesn't point to the bones with an exaggerated hand and a shake of his head. He doesn't roll his eyes, identifying all the evidence of lack, death, and ruin. How does he respond? He says this, Sovereign Lord, you alone 
know. Surrounded by a situation that seems hopelessly bleak, Ezekiel doesn't lower his expectations, even given what he sees. He doesn't dismiss the question or deny the reality. He calls on the character of God and surrenders. Mars Hill, what have we written off as hopelessly bleak, useless, or irredeemable? Think about it for a moment. Maybe it's the thing that you haven't thought about for so long that it's hard to draw it back up. Or maybe you're so emotionally triggered by this thing that you don't dare want to bring it to the forefront of our time together. But what have our individual and collective attitudes been? Where have they been in situations where what we see has the potential to cause us to dismiss the possibility of renewal in our midst? When it comes down to it, are we people defined by our dismissal of God's present and or our denial of reality? Or might we become a people, a community that calls on the character of God and submits our knowledge in order to be led by God's knowledge as a Jesus people for the sake of the world? Because the Lord clearly didn't just see a valley of dry bones. The Lord doesn't just see a closed business or a severed relationship. The Lord doesn't just see cultural tension or a broken, bruised, and imperfect church. He doesn't just see your mental health battle or the darkness that you are facing. He doesn't just see your intolerance or your rage or what you said in the car on the way to church. There's something beyond the bones the Lord sees, and it takes a renewed expectation to live into that kind of vision. So let's talk about that vision that Ezekiel had. There are really two components that I want to pull forward for us this morning. The first was human word. Verses 4 and 5. Then he, the Lord, said to me, Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. What's happening here? The Lord, in essence, is inviting Ezekiel to speak to the bones on his behalf, which means, church, that Ezekiel's words have power. And ours do too. Our words absolutely have power. Hear this from James chapter 3. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. What or who have your words brought to life in recent days? See, part of a renewed expectation in the face of bleak terrain is having a higher vision and expectation for the part we've been invited to play as the people of God. Your words matter. Your words have the power to speak life, whether in person, on social media, at school, at work, with your children, your grandchildren, nieces, nephews, neighbors, students. Ezekiel was invited to speak directly to these bones. 
to be the vehicle through which they received the word of the Lord. And as a result, there was noise, a rattling. The bones came together. There were tendons and flesh and skin that formed. Bones became a body because of Ezekiel's words. There was impact and influence and life in those words. Our words matter, Mars Hill. But something was missing. Verse 8 says, there was no breath. And when we consider this equation then, in the case of this vision, bodies minus breath still equals death. Bodies minus breath still equals death. Our words can build. Our words do build. But only God's breath brings life. Which brings us to the second component of this vision, which is God's breath itself. Without God's breath, the bones would have been covered. More structure would have been afforded to them and achieved. But the bodies would still be dead. And so here we encounter this interesting word, ruah. It's used differently three times throughout this passage as either spirit, breath, or wind. And in one of those three versions, it appears eight times in these 14 verses. It's the word we find in Genesis 2 where God breathed into the man the breath of life. And as soon as the ruah of God entered the bodies, the bodies lived. Because the other part of our equation is bodies plus breath equals life. Bodies plus the breath of God equals life. Look at that more closely, church. If there's too much emphasis on the building of bodies, our human participation, our programs, what we choose to do together, if we only focus on our own efforts, our own skills, we still will have a powerless religion walked out in human effort. This is where I think we get into trouble sometimes because we were taught, you can do it, your skill is enough, your gifting is enough. And we don't even talk about character, we just say your gifting is enough and you can build that thing, you can build that business, you can build that family. But if we do not have the breath of God, the spirit of God infused into things that we build, church, don't you see it still doesn't live? Unless the Lord does it. The laborers work in vain, right? So too much focus then on God's power. When we say, I believe in God's character, I believe in God's power, but we don't receive the invitation to actually walk out actively the call to participate in justice, in the good news, in extending grace, in forgiving, in forming communities that are reconciling and redemptive. And we have an outsourced confidence. A church that believes God's character, but stalls and refuses to move. So I guess for this first week in this new series, Mars Hill, as we enter into this new season together, both a season where we're seeing leaves change and we're seeing new people a part of our church, where we're seeing the possibility of what lies before us, there absolutely might be a personal situation that you feel is dry and dead and irredeemable. And you're discerning today something in your participation might need to change. 
perhaps specifically the words that you need to use in order to join God to bring forth renewal in that place. But I specifically want to talk about the role of the Spirit in our lives and in the church. If you weren't uh, a part of us, a part of our gathered body for the Apostles' Creed series, would you go back to almost the very beginning and listen to, I believe it was Troy's talk on the Holy Spirit. It was beautiful. There was so much that we learned together about the Spirit's movement and role. Part of our inherited legacy here at Mars Hill is that the human word has painted pictures. It's touched our hearts. It's brought scripture alive in ways we've never heard before. All of this is undeniably a part of who we are and who we've been. And yet, this church cannot be a body built on the word of man or woman alone. I think that what this passage is inviting us to specifically, Mars Hill, is a new expectation beyond what our eyes can see beyond what a singular person or even collective efforts can achieve. And as we look to our future without the Holy Spirit of God, without the breath of God infusing and compelling every single thing that we do, we might be a body built on very dry bones in our own effort and programming and skill, but we'll still be found lifeless in this season. And so I want to talk about our environments and a little bit of our vision. We now, if you haven't joined us for a while, we have two environments. We have Mars Hill and Granville and Mars Hill and Grand Rapids. And as a teaching team and I were talking about what those environments are like and how they differ and how vision is overlapped at both. Granville, this is an established location. And yet, we've talked about how we might be in need of some relational repair with our neighbors, with other local churches and organizations. Here at Granville, we've historically uh, been so generous. Some of you have been around for some of our partnerships, and yet a lot of those partnerships have been exported to places beyond our immediate footprint. Schools on the other side of the city or even organizations on the other side of the world. So how might we in this next season focus on locality and serve right here where we are. A huge part of who will help us with that is Denise and her new role is she serves both locations. And yet another reason why we're thrilled that she's here. And if you haven't been to Grand Rapids, Grand Rapids is a new location, but it's situation, situated in amidst, uh, amidst a historical division between two neighborhoods that are socioeconomically very radically different. How do we focus on being a good neighbor? to focus on being uh, people that show up and who are proximate despite the fact that there's a history that goes before us, despite that there's good work in the spirit that has already gone before us, how do we listen for what God's already doing and join humbly in that work? What Ezekiel saw was dead things coming alive. And let me just share some good news with you about where I've seen life here at Mars Hill. First, I want to say in our staff, I've seen so much life in our staff. It's been one of my biggest joys to, especially in the past few weeks, link arms and look at one another across the table while we're planning and say, I know we're in this for kingdom purposes. That is not a given everywhere, church. And maybe you don't see what happens from Monday to Friday, 
but I need to let you know our staff is incredible and they love you and we're praying for you. I'm seeing uh, this picture of us planning for encounters and listening to the spirit of God through times of communal prayer that Brian Catlett, our congregational care pastor, is planning for us. So stay tuned for those times where we might encounter the spirit of God together. I'm excited for expanding our reality as a multi-generational church through this young adults ministry. Some of you know the history of Mars was built on the passion and proximity of young adults showing up wanting to be the church. And I'm so grateful that we get to see this new chapter of a ministry like this come to life again. Other things, house churches, opportunity for community in house churches, clarifying what it means to belong here through our covenant community process and how you might be able to serve coming shortly. And then repair at both locations. How do we show up and be a people that doesn't just come and occupy a seat, but to actively participate in the work of repair in our city and in our world? So in case you're wondering, I didn't pull up the begonias. They're still there because I want to see what will happen with time and with factors outside of my control. But Marcel, I leave you with this challenge. As you consider the environment you find yourself in, perhaps not all of them look like a valley of dry bones, but maybe some of them are bleak. Perhaps part of your life is a valley right now. What impossible question is God asking in order that you might see his character as more sovereign? How is God inviting you to participate uniquely for such a time as this? What words is he drawing forth for you to use to bring life? And how might we be a body, the church that relies fully on the Holy Spirit not just on our own efforts, but on the movement of God in our midst, paying attention and giving glory to God alone. As we move to the table, this is a place where Jesus absolutely did the work of showing his disciples that he was making all things new. The situation was bleak. The environment was dark. He knew what he was about to step into, and yet here at this table, Jesus brought his disciples together, and he made them a promise, and he fed them and nourished them. So as we come to the table, we eat this same meal, and we remember the same promise, regardless of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. So church, I say to you, the Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and after he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So now we pray, come Holy Spirit and do what you've done generations and, and years and years before now. 
Would you come and nourish us with this meal in mind, body, and soul? Remind us of the promise that you are re-enlivening our expectations by inviting us to join you and by your spirit. Lord, thank you for this invitation right here at the table. May we receive it joyfully in Christ's name. Amen. So now we join our voices in proclaiming this great mystery of our faith with brothers and sisters, our siblings all around, not just West Michigan, but around the world. And that mystery is this, that Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Church, as you start to stand and receive from the tables that are in uh, the middle of the aisles, note also that we have an opportunity for you to write what is on your heart, and we'd love to pray for you. Every single week at the beginning of the week, we take these prayer requests and we earnestly pray for you. And we also pray for those who submit prayers online. So if you'd like for us to pray with you this week, please do that. And then take your time. Take your time as you go to the table and receive. And pay attention to what the Spirit might be doing in you and inviting you into in these next few moments as you eat. All is ready. Church, receive who you are the body of Christ. <laughs>